Imagine you're in a crowded and loud emergency room one night. Machines are beeping, people are talking and walking around, and this experience probably is not pleasant at all. Now, imagine that you are a bunny, and you are experiencing the same exact thing. Sometimes bunnies go to the emergency room as well, and their experiences can be very difficult. So who's looking out for the bunny's experiences? My name is Louis Colabertolo, and I am a PhD student at the University of Guelph in the Food Science Department. When I should be doing my work but I'm not, I like to sit down with other graduate students and talk about what they're studying, why it's important, and why anyone should really care. And this week it comes super easy, because we're talking about fluffy and adorable bunnies. Pauline Cosmal has bunnies, loves bunnies, and watches bunnies go to the emergency room. She is here to tell us all about what happens as a rabbit goes into a rehab facility and why the experience of that rabbit matters. Of course this episode is going to have a lot of bunny facts, an ungodly amount of bunny puns, but not all bunnies need to go to rehab. And before we get started, let's let Pauline tease us with a little fun fact that helps us prevent bringing too many bunnies to the rehab center. Rabbits also have a translucent skin on their stomach, so you can actually see when they've been fed, and it looks like a big white milk band, and they'll be nice and pudgy. So if they look like that, you want to leave them alone. Okay, enough bunny facts. Let's hop to it. And while you're listening, keep in mind that we're both grad students. We don't know everything, and that's why you're listening to an episode of We Know Some Stuff. Hi, Pauline. How are we doing today? Hi, not too bad. How about yourself? I'm I'm all right over here. Could you, before we get started, before we jump into it, oh my god, is that my first bunny pun of the day? Okay, I'm done. I, I'm not done. I lied. That's a lie. Could you tell us your background, your, your educational history? Yeah, absolutely. So I've actually been at the University of Guelph since 2015, so going into my seventh year, which is wild. Um, I did a bachelor in animal biology, so a four-year undergrad. Um, then did a one-year master's, so a coursework-based master's in animal biosciences, where that kind of started my journey, I guess you could say, with Eastern Cottontails. I did uh, one of my major papers on them in rehabilitation, and now I've been working on my PhD for the past two years, again, uh, with Eastern Cottontails. So you're like one of University of Guelph's best customers. You're repeat. Yes. Oh, yeah, for sure. You got, you got, you got like a subscription <laughs> to the University of Guelph. Yeah, it's really funny. It's like I get um, like emails being like, oh, you're an alumni now. Like, want to come back? Like, how is your experience? And I'm just like, I'm still here. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't left. And then they start being like, oh, yeah, you want to donate too? And be like, ah, I am donating. Yeah. It's called tuition. <laughs> Uh, all right, all right. So you've been here for a while. You love it. You just you can't say enough good words about it. Uh, and you have been studying more or less the same thing all these years? Uh, yeah, since my, my master's in my undergrad, I didn't have like an undergraduate thesis or anything like that. But I've always been particularly interested in rabbits. And then for my master's is kind of when I actually got into the research of them. All right, so let's let's start from the very beginning. Rabbits. I've already said the word bunny once. Am I am I committing a faux pas? Like a paw. Bunnies have paws. I don't know. I'm out of I'm out of my waters right here. <laughs> <laughs> Is bunny okay? Can I say bunny? Yeah, you can definitely say bunny. Uh, bunnies and rabbits mean the same thing. Just like bunnies is kind of less formal. Um, and sometimes people use bunnies to describe their young. 
but the young are actually called kits. Um, the only difference is, is typically you wouldn't refer to a hare as a bunny, but I mean, that just kind of depends on the person. And if they're racing a tortoise, that's like, <laughs> yeah. wait, so wait, wait, what's the difference between a, a, a bunny or a rabbit slash a hare? What's, what's a hare? Yeah, so a lot of people think it's in the physical appearance, and while it is, usually hares have longer ears and longer hind legs, the actual distinction is in their young. So hares have babies that are known as a precocial species, which means that when they're born, they're born with their eyes open, they're fully furred, they're ready to go, um, and they can, you know, hop away from the nest. Whereas rabbits, what actually defines them is they're what's called an altricial species, which means that they're born pretty much like naked, blind, unable to do anything. So, okay. All right. These are words I'm learning. I am not an animal biologist. I don't know any of these things. But like you see those videos of like a horse giving birth and the horse just like kind of flops out and starts just walks away. Would that be called preco precocial? Was that the word? Yes, exactly. And then are humans precocial? That's kind of up for debate because although we are born like eyes open and I mean, we're not furred, but I guess some babies have hair. Um, so we're kind <laughs> of in this weird middle point where some people might call us precocial because we're born like eyes open with hair and like sort of able to do things. But then at the same time, it's not like, you know, we get up and walk away or anything like that. And like we yeah. spend a lot on the care from from our moms and dads. So yeah, it's it's up for debate. And babies can't hold nine to five jobs. No. And <laughs> Definitely we've <not>. tried. <laughs> we've tried. Okay. All right. So we, we got bunnies, we got rabbits, we got hares, but specifically you're you're not a hare person. You're a rabbit person. Yeah, I mean, I'm obviously interested in hair still, but from a research standpoint, I deal with bunnies only. So eastern cottontails, uh, which are the most common rabbit species here. Oh, okay. So they're the most common rabbit species. All right. I've seen some rabbits walking around the suburbs. They're adorable. Of all the wildlife, I got to say, rabbits are probably like top tier adorable. Yes. Would you agree? Oh, 100%. But I'm very... That's not a biased opinion, is it? You're not... You're not like part of like the big bunny trust or something, are you? <laughs> no, no. But I, like I said, I have been like very interested in bunnies for a long time and I have three like domestic rabbits of my own. So maybe a little bit of bias, but I'm still not wrong. Okay. Yeah. No, I think, I think that you, we would gladly agree. Although there are some people that would argue that squirrels, but is there a big like war between squirrel lovers and bunny lovers? Is this... Am I tapping into an underworld right now? <laughs> um, not that I know of. I guess the only war is in rehab. Those are like the two most common species that get admitted. Um, so the only war, I guess, is just how many more of which one do you have? But there are, and there you will have some people who prefer to do the the uh, eastern cottontails and some people who prefer to do the eastern gray squirrels. Um, the squirrels are a lot easier to raise than the cottontails are. So typically, um, from a rehabilitator's point of view, um, they prefer to deal with squirrels. All right, that's fair. That's fair. We're not going to split hairs. <laughs> nice. Uh, I'm sorry. I, I apologize ahead of time. This is just, I got a lot of them. So anyways, uh, you own three bunnies. Yes. I do. You, you, you like what, what is it like owning a bunny? I have one friend that owns a bunny and apparently there's like a lot of, a lot goes behind it. It's not like owning a guinea pig. I thought it was just a floppy guinea pig. It's bigger and it's got a lot more things that it needs. 
Yeah, so it's a common misconception that they're, you know, like a cage animal. So something like a hamster, which can, you know, stay in an enclosed environment and be quite happy. They're a lot more active and social, more similar to like a cat or a dog. But also my three rabbits, and I'm sure other rabbit owners will feel the same way. They have uh, very different personalities. So uh, I have my oldest, who's 11 and a half now. Um, and she's obviously, you know, a little bit more on the calmer side. She's a little bit older, so she's very relaxed. Whereas I have um, my youngest, Benjamin, who's six years old, who is crazy, makes all the noise, runs around like a maniac. His favorite time of day is 3 a.m. right when you're sleeping. It's wonderful. Um, and then I have a really tiny white bunny, Chompers, um, who's kind of somewhere in the middle where he can be relatively active, but he also likes to be, you know, calm and picked up and whatnot. So lots of lots of personalities in the house for sure. Yeah, yeah that sounds like a handful, honestly, like three bunnies. I could barely take care of myself. I don't even know if goldfish would fill into my lifestyle at this point. Surprisingly, I also used to have two rats. So I had five all at once um, for my, that was my third and fourth year of my undergrad, I want to say. Uh, I don't have them anymore. Unfortunately, they passed, but I, I still have all three bunnies. Well, that that's a beautiful thing. I'm, I'm glad that you're giving these three bunnies a home. Mm-hmm. Now, you research a specific breed of, is it a bee, breed or species? I, I don't know uh, these things. Species. So typically when you're referring to wild animals, you would call it a species. Breeds are reserved for domesticated animals. So like breed mm. of dog, but species of wild rabbit. Or if you were talking about a domestic rabbit, you could say a breed. I am learning so much today. Okay, all right, all right. So you study a specific species of rabbits called the Eastern Cottontail. Mm-hmm. That is... I right off the the top of my head immediately I think a lot of people who are listening are thinking to themselves like Peter Cottontail. Yes. <laughs> it's classic, right? So Peter Cottontail, uh mischievous little bunny if I remember correctly. Yep. Uh, you know, always eaten out of what was it? Farmer Bright Briar Bright it was uh what was the name of the farmer? I don't remember the name of the farmer, but but you're um, right, he was eating out of the the garden all the time. Yeah, he was a mischievous little bunny. Either way, you study eastern cottontails. Why, since I see bunnies have been around for a very long time, and we coexist with bunnies, I can't imagine. Why do we still need to research them? Don't we, like, know everything yet? Bunnies have been here forever. Yeah, so they have been around for a really long time, but especially in rehabilitation, and because they are such a common species, the research in that area is lacking because they're not as, we'll say, like, shiny of a species. So it's not like they're extremely special in the sense that we want to conserve them from, you know, an environmental standpoint. Um, And they are so common that people kind of turn a blind eye to them a lot of the time. But the reason why I wanted to focus on them, and specifically in rehabilitation, is because they actually have one of the worst outcomes in rehabilitation. They're such a a high-stress species that it's really hard for even the experts um, to raise them. So I'm kind of looking into why that is, and then the methods that we can use to kind of improve their success so they can be released back into the wild to fulfill their biological role, you know, to reproduce. And of course, they play an important role in the food chain since they get consumed by by predators um and uh, i just i just feel it's very important to to make sure that we're also giving them the best welfare as possible while in care so it's from an environmental and sort of a biological standpoint but also from the the welfare standpoint about the individual animal themselves 
All right, so uh, every once in a while, a bunny needs to go to rehab. I, I'm not going to, like, start on bunny rehab jokes. It's a withdrawal from carrots. Okay, I'm done. I, that's it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no more withdrawal jokes. Okay, uh, so so why would a rabbit need to go to rehab? So there's many different reasons. Um, I'll speak mostly about the, the young ones just because that's what I focus on. So rehabilitation centers operate to kind of restore the balance. Uh, a lot of the animals that come in... Uh, they're coming in because of something that's human related. So whether it's that their nest was attacked by a dog, um, you know, someone owns the dog, they let their dog out and they've gotten into the nest, or it's that their mom has been, you know, hit by a car and now they're orphaned. Um, cat attacks are also really common. So for those who have outdoor cats uh, getting into the nests, um, that has a really negative effect on wildlife. Um, so most of the time, those are the reasons that are brought in, but then sometimes you end up with some people who bring them in, like thinking they need help because a lot of the times rabbits are on their own. Um, but mom only comes by the nest twice a day to avoid, you know, predators being around them. So they think that they need help, um, but they actually don't. So we're trying to also increase the awareness of does this animal actually need to come into care? Okay. All right. So right, right off the bat. There are a lot of human influences in wildlife anymore. The wild part of wildlife seems to be kind of blurring its lines. We got these big societies and suburbs and lawns and forests and all these things. And we as humans, we love to go into nature. But bunnies don't necessarily love when we go into their nature. Yeah. So when we think about things like dogs, cats... Uh, other human-based predators and things like that. We're doing a lot of things that kind of affect how they live and their role in, like, the uh, the food chain and things like that. Yes, definitely. So, at some point, we need to say to ourselves, all right, we need to start making some changes in order to make sure that these bunnies are doing well. Whereas what you're working on is sort of that individual, as you said, the individual care basis of the rabbits themselves mm -hmm. so let's let's dig into that for a little bit a bunny goes into rehab what do you do so the first thing we do is a, a triage so essentially assessing what condition the animal is in and what like where it came from and what are the next steps that we need to take um, typically if they come into care and they have a very full belly and we know that they came from a nest, mom is around, we'll try and send them back with the person who brought them in just because if they have a full belly and they're looking great, their best chance is with mom. So those situations aside, if they come in and they actually need care, um, it will depend on the reason why. So usually we leave them alone for a little bit just to de-stress unless they're in immediate, you know, pain or, or danger. Um, and we need to, you know, take the steps to potentially euthanize. Um, however, we'll say that we have a rabbit that's in, in relatively good condition. We'll triage it. So we're looking at its body condition. Um, we're looking for any sort of... Um, ectoparasites or anything like that so little bugs on them um, we're checking their condition um, and then honestly we put them into a nice dark quiet area uh, if they're in healthy condition um, if they're not so healthy maybe they little bit need a little bit of hydration so like fluids um, if they do have those little bugs on them we have a medication that we can spray onto a tissue and rub it on them just to get rid of those little bugs um, but feeding is not our primary concern. The primary concern is to get them warm and get their, get them somewhere quiet, um, as well as get them hydrated if they need it. I imagine the intake for a wild animal, that, that must be a shock to the animal. 
to like be taken into a big building, lots of lights, lots of people running around. That that seems like a lot for a rabbit. For sure. Um, and the way that uh, we describe it at the rehab center I usually work with is it's like being abducted by aliens and they don't know how to communicate mm-hmm. with them. So we have a lot of things in place to make sure that we can, you know, reduce the stress as much as possible. We understand that while in care, obviously their welfare is going to be not as good as it would be if they were in the wild. However, you know, with with the intentions we have and with the the resources, the pain medications and the foods we have available, you know, eventually getting them back to the point where they're released in the wild is the end goal and overall will increase their welfare in that case. Um, so we do things like making sure their eyes are covered when they come in, you know, putting them in dark rooms, keeping towels over them, trying not to, you know, make eye contact, minimal talking and things like that. So we do try our best to kind of minimize that stress. However, we are aware that it's going to be present and that animal is stressed kind of no matter what we do. Yeah, I, I imagine that that is an incredibly stressful thing, but you're you're making like, a, I imagine it's like a spa-like environment very calming, low lighting. I kind of like it's I'm thinking of rehab as a bunny spa. <laughs> um, so, all right, we 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 get our individual rabbit in. You do your assessment, your triaging. Let's say that the bunny needs a little bit of treatment. Uh, and at this point, you uh, have determined that it, it needs a treatment and you are going to send it off or or keep it at least in house and do these treatments. Do you monitor the bunnies for a long time? Do you say like, oh, we're going to observe you for 24 hours? How does that kind of process work? Yeah, so if it's a young bunny that comes in, uh, typically they're released at about, we'll say like four to six weeks, depending on the size, depending on, you know, if they have a previous injury, then obviously we're not going to release them just because they're four weeks or anything like that. Um, So if they do need treatment, we assess, you know, what the injury is and then what the treatment plan is going to be. So for instance, if they were attacked by a cat, they're going to need an antibiotic as well as a pain med because there's a lot of bacteria in a cat's mouth and presumably, you know, they're likely in a lot of pain uh, considering the fact that they were bitten. Um, So it really depends um, on the situation and you sort of make a a care um, protocol based on the individual's needs on what they come in. But the Eastern Cottontails specifically are fed once in the morning and once in the evening because that most similarly replicates what's done in the wild. Their mom visits their nest uh, at dawn and dusk. Um, So when we do that, that's typically when we administer the medications and check them over uh, just to make sure that we're minimizing that stress by additional handling. So, you know, people will go by the room, you know, every once in a while during the day and just kind of look in to make sure they're okay. But the actual handling we try to only do that twice a day, um, as well as it's really important for to weigh them every day. So that was something I forgot to mention when they came in for triage. We get a weight because that will determine um, the dose of medication that they'll need, as well as how much food they're getting. And it's just a good way to track how they're growing and how they're doing. So we always get a weight in the mornings before we feed them so we can get a good kind of reading of how they're doing and how well they're progressing. And then once they get to that, you know, four to six week benchmark, depending on how they are. So they're really bright. They're really active. They're running all over the pen. We can hardly catch them. We put them into a a crate and we transport them in a nice dark area to an appropriate release site. And the release site, like where it is, will depend on where they came from. Oh, that's is it like a graduation? Yes. Does your heart break just a little bit when you see them go? 
it it kind of breaks but then it's also that is like the end goal of rehabilitation is to mm. get them back out there in the wild so setting them off is like a is a bittersweet moment almost like you know when when you go to university and you leave the house although it's obviously a shorter period of time um yeah with the babies yeah. that you raise and you know they're finally going off and there's also no way to sort of track them afterwards so you just kind of fingers crossed hope the best they do well i'm like i'm tearing up over here <laughs> yeah. like this is this is very emotional for me um and and side note and i feel that this is something important that we should discuss just to say that we said it we should not be taking wild rabbits into our homes no. So if you find a rabbit that needs to be brought into care, so it has any one of those conditions I described, if it's injured pretty much at any age that it is, it needs to be brought into care. If it's a baby and it's truly orphaned, so you look at it and it looks thin, rabbits also have a translucent skin on their stomach. So you can actually see when they've been fed and it looks like a big white milk band and they'll be nice and pudgy. So if they look like that, you want to leave them alone. But if they're looking very thin, they don't have that milk band, then you want to bring them in. If you're unable to bring them in, um, you can keep them legally for up to 24 hours until you can find accommodations. But actually keeping wildlife inside your home for an extended period of time or with intention to raise them to the point release or to keep them is illegal. So the first step that you want to take is to just call a rehabilitation center, the one that's closest to you that rehabilitates rabbits. You're going to give them a call. You're going to explain the situation. You know, they'll talk you through the process and how you should keep it. And um, if you're able to bring it into care, um, they'll encourage you to do so. Or you might be able to find someone that can drive it up to the rehabilitation center. But yes, in general, and except for with the exception of that 24 hour period, we are not allowed to keep wildlife in our house. Um, it's very dangerous for both you and the animal. Okay. All right. So we learned a lot about wildlife rehabilitation. Bunnies, adorable, love them. Uh, but w what are you researching at this point? Yeah, so I'm currently entering my second year and I've finally started my my field season. It was put on hold for a couple of years just because of COVID and administration and, you know, not unlike many other people's situations. So I finally started my field season, um, but I'll kind of walk through my project because it is a, a PhD, so it's kind of building on each other. So the first thing that I did was looked at all the available literature on Eastern cottontails in rehabilitation. So what do we have out there? What are the protocols that are being used? And I looked at the differences between the protocols from the different areas. So what are some people saying that we're doing and what are other people saying that we're doing in rehab centers? Because there's a lot of conflict, which could be contributing to their poor um, outcomes. However, we don't know. So that's kind of where my starting point was, was looking at what's actually available to rehabilitators. Then from there, because it's important, obviously, you know, to have the stakeholders involved to uh, make sure that their opinions are, are being expressed and to involve them in the research, at least at least I think so. Um, so I interviewed and surveyed rehabilitators about their protocols, as well as their attitudes and beliefs towards rehabilitation and toward, specifically towards the rehabilitation of Eastern cottontails. So um, that's what I had just finished. And the next part that I'm working on is kind of collecting more so the health data. So looking at the actual Eastern cottontails themselves. 
So the two main things I'm doing is looking um, at their feces because feces hold a lot of information about the different um, species that are inside their guts. So I'm looking at the bacteria in their feces to see if there's a difference between those that survived and those that did not survive in rehabilitation. And then I'm also doing some necropsies on cadavers to see, you know, if there's a common trend that we can establish in those. Um, and then from that, combining it all together, I'm looking at, you know, which which protocols, which factors, or which things could be influencing um, the outcomes of Eastern cottontails in care, as well as is there a common trend or a common reason why some are successful and others are not? And then from that, creating you know evidence-informed protocols to sort of help rehabilitators improve uh, their practice with regards to Eastern cottontail care. So it sounds like a lot of what you're doing is kind of along the lines of a public health approach, but for rabbits. Uh, yeah, similar. There's definitely a lot of overlap with like the One Health or the public health approach. Yeah, because if you're ultimate goal is to make better, uh, I, I, I don't know if I want to say a better experience for rabbits in rehab. Uh, would you use that phrase to describe what you're doing? Um, the way that I've been kind of describing it is improving their health and welfare. So like, you know, both from the, I guess you could say emotional side and from the biological side. Okay. All right. All right. So, be, be, I mean, these things are important, right? Ultimately, uh, the biological tells us how well they're doing, but the emotional is also incredibly important mm -hmm. because it, it, one thing that I think we absolutely can't discount is that this is still like an incredibly big experience for a rabbit. And that's definitely got to affect how they behave in the wild and reproduce and live the rest of their lives. Whether or not they've been in rehab, this is kind of, it's kind of a big deal. Mm -hmm. So, you you know that there are a lot of different rehab centers probably all over eastern Ontario, probably even more parts of Canada as well? Uh, yeah, there are several um, rehabilitation centers in Ontario. There's a few in Quebec, and specifically the eastern Quantails because, you know, they're mostly on the east side. However, um, they do kind of sneak over to British Columbia. There are some in that area. So there's a rehab center who does them there, as well as a little bit closer to the east, um, Manitoba. And then in the U.S., there's actually quite a bit more. However, a lot more of their population is is down there in the U.S. on the eastern kind of central side. All right. So, so there are a number of rehabilitation centers for this one species. And I imagine a lot of them have different practices and how they handle and take care of this species. Yes, because the other thing is, is very rarely are you only dealing with Eastern cottontails. Um, sometimes, you know, you can have fosters that will specifically do the Eastern cottontails and they'll be affiliated with the rehabilitation center. But in re most rehabilitation centers, they're taking on multiple species. It's not just Eastern cottontails or even just rabbits in general. Like they have birds, turtles, raccoons, bears, foxes, like every anything you could possibly imagine, um, depending on the, the regulations in that area and of course their permits. But it's not like they're just focusing on that one species. Um, so it's a lot about resource allocation and how should we properly allocate our resources here and here. Um, and the other issue in wildlife rehabilitation is it's um, based off of donation. They're not a lot, not a lot of them are government funded. Um, so it, it makes it a little bit more difficult to kind of make those decisions. And sometimes you have to make the decisions that you don't want to simply because you don't have the resources. Yeah, that uh, this sounds as complicated as like human health care. Yeah. <laughs> Which prompts the big question, 
Why are there not as many medical dramas about rabbit rehab as there are about like just medical dramas on TV? <laughs> uh, I know a few like documentaries um, or like shows about vets. So I think Dr. Pole is an example of one. Like he does a lot of exotic oh, yeah, yeah. animals. Um, as well as there's one about, uh, I want to say Wildlife Haven, which is out in New Brunswick, if I'm not mistaken. Um, there is actually a show about the animals they rehabilitate there. I'm, I want like a Grey's Anatomy, but for rabbits. Yeah, no, no, like rom-coms or anything like that with rabbits. That's what I, that's what I'm looking for is I want rom-coms. I want serial dramas. I want cliffhangers. I'm talking to like rabbit rehabilitation cliffhangers at the end of the season, getting me ready for season two. That's what we need. Uh, all right, so you you look at all these rehab centers. You notice some are treating some differently. There's probably a lot of different reasons. Uh, funding seems like a big issue, and just general practices. They probably have a lot of different species going on. But you are trying to understand the best way to take care of eastern cottontail rabbits. Yes. And what kind of quantifiable things do you come up with i understand that you're not done with your research you still got a lot to go you're you're going to continue being a customer of the university of guelph for a number more years <laughs> but ultimately what is something that you might gain from this research that could end up being applied to at a rehabilitation center so the the i shouldn't say the one thing but one one of the things uh, that i'm looking at like i said is in their gut microbiome and like i mentioned earlier Rabbits have really sensitive guts, and I think that a lot of information that we can find on someone's health, whether it be a rabbit or another species or, you know, even a human, um, we can find a lot of information from what's going on in their gut. So what I expect to find is sort of one of three things. Um, one of them being that it's possible that they're not developing the right gut bacteria, and therefore we need to introduce something into their diet to give them the right gut bacteria. Um, the other one is that they might just have a low abundance of the gut bacteria, that being the ones that don't survive. So there needs to be something, again, supplemented in the diet to sort of increase the abundance and increase the, the number of beneficial, we'll say, bacteria, because there are some that are not beneficial. And then the third thing we might find is that they have a really high parasitic load. So those would be the bad things that we don't want to find. So is there something that we should do to be treating them upon entry um, to sort of reduce that parasitic load? Obviously keeping, you know, antibiotic resistance in mind and not just freely giving out antibiotics. But is there something that's, you know, responsible that we can put into nature that we can give to these rabbits to kind of help with that parasitic burden? So those are the sort of main things that I'm finding, or sorry, that I expect to find, um, as well as looking from the rehabilitator perspective, it's especially from uh, the literature, it's near impossible to tell who is actually doing, you know, a, we'll say, quote unquote, like better job of rehabilitating, because some rehabilitation centers, they don't take the ones that are eyes closed because they have such a poor prognosis. Um, some rehabilitation centers do. There's also a lot of underlying factors, like if they came in with injuries or illnesses. So I'm trying to hone in simply on the orphaned Eastern cottontails or the ones that are apparently healthy and look at those ones specifically to see if there's a common trend in those ones so we can improve um, our care and our level of practice with them. So I say this just about every single scientist I ever talk to. Uh, and, and I'll say it again, because at this point, I don't think it gets lost. Uh, this 
<laughs> this sounds complicated. <laughs> um, yes, it, it is a lot of parts to it. Um, but that's also the really exciting part, I guess, of the PhD research is being able to piece all those different elements together to try and look for a bigger picture. So as you said, you know, I'm still a student, I'm still learning about it, but, um, and, and it's funny that you're, ex you know, not expected, but if people think that you're an expert, meanwhile, part of the time, I feel like I don't know what I'm doing, but that's why we have, you know, the the PIs and the people on our committee to help support us and bring us along being like, no, you're fine. You know what you're doing. And then also point us in the right direction, uh, maybe when we're, we're going off track. Um, but but yeah, it, it is complicated, but also like super fascinating. Yeah, Ed, that, that's the beautiful thing about research. There's still so much to figure out and you're you're one of those people figuring it out. Yeah, hopefully. Uh, OK, so we we are just about up over here. Uh, are there any final like fun bunny facts or anything you wanted to get off your chest? Oh, yes, I have a great one, which is that everyone is under the impression that rabbits love carrots and they can eat all the carrots in the world because of Bugs Bunny. However, um, that scene in Bugs Bunny was actually a mock of a movie, and I can't remember the name of the movie, but that's what someone is doing in the movie time, and it actually isn't related to the fact that he's a rabbit. And while rabbits do consume carrots sometimes, they're not their favorite, and they shouldn't be consumed all the time because they're really high in sugar. And going back again for the third time, can't say it enough, rabbits have very sensitive guts. <laughs> so consuming a high sugar diet is not good for them. We want to have a nice and high fiber diet instead. Um, so yeah, that's that's something that a lot of people don't know is that rabbits don't actually like carrots as much as we think they do, and they shouldn't be consuming them all the time. So this is this is a good fact. <laughs> this is I didn't make a single carrot joke, and I'm a little bit ashamed, <laughs> but I'm also glad that I didn't. What what are your specific you have three you have three rabbits at home. What are their favorite snacks? So for treats, hands down, and any bunny owners that end up listening to this will probably agree it's bananas. Again, really high in sugar, so very, very minimal, but they go crazy for banana. Bunny wow. That's okay. I this is I, I gonna say that I've learned a lot and I I'm not going to say that the most impactful thing that I learned was that bunnies love bananas, but I'm going to say it, it's up there. It's high up there on the list. Uh, all right. Well, thank you so much for talking with us today. It was a real delight. Thank you so much for having me. It was great. After listening to this episode, treat yourself to a banana or whatever the human equivalent of the most delicious thing in the world is to you. But before you go, we have to cover some of our bases, and every episode of We Know Some Stuff always ends with a fact check, because sometimes we have to admit we don't know all the stuff. Today's fact check is really just a cultural reference. Earlier, we were talking about bunnies eating carrots and Bugs Bunny eating carrots, and we couldn't really recall the exact reference that that was taken from. As much as a bunny might love carrots, it actually comes from the writers of the Looney Tunes episode with Bugs Bunny eating the carrots, mimicking a behavior of Clark Gable in the movie It Happened One Night, in which he is explaining his rules about hitchhike. So yeah, carrots may be delicious, but it's maybe not the bunny's favorite thing. And that was the only fact-checking needed fact-checking, which was a pretty easy fact-check if I say so myself. So thank you for listening to another episode of We Know Some Stuff.